hard themes. We're in a text that is really hard. Uh, and uh, Jesus makes no apologies for the challenge of, of this text. What we just read, uh, what was just given to us in Mark chapter 7, uh, it, it's easy to read over that and go, okay, right, you know, stuff on the outside doesn't defile, it's the inside, okay, uh, no big deal. But what Jesus does here, is he really teaches an amazing point about sin that really does change everything about what it means to be a disciple. It changes everything about our perspective on how we are to be followers of God. You might notice that what Jesus says in this, in verse 15, ought to be pretty startling if you think about it. For Jesus to tell this crowd, and remember the crowd is there because of the first 13 verses where we have these Pharisees who are rejecting the commands of God to keep their own traditions. Remember the whole washing of hands and pictures and things like that. And now he makes a a, a critical foundational statement. Verse 15 of Mark 7, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Uh, Did not the law of Moses have teachings that said if you ate things, they defiled you? Uh, Yes, they did. (laughs) They had all of these laws about here's what is clean and unclean, defiling. This is a startling statement by Jesus. To just come in before them and go, you understand that nothing on the outside is going to defile you in terms of food. He says, you eat it, it just passes into your stomach and it's expelled. It's what's inside, what touches the heart is what matters, not what touches the stomach. The law of Moses was intended to be a picture book of defilement. But they're not seeing the big idea of what they're supposed to understand in terms of what is defiling, what is sin, and what is unclean. And so Jesus needs to explain that. Now you have to love how this plays out, because Jesus does this a lot. You will notice that he just states that radical teaching. It's not what you eat on the outside of the defiles. And you'll notice he just walks off. He just leaves that and walks off. Because in verse 17, when they had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. He does that all the time. I'm going to give you something to think about and say something really challenging. Boom, there he goes. And then he leaves. (laughs) Who is going to come to him and try to figure out what he means by that? We've seen that before. We've talked about how God is looking for seekers who are desiring to understand his teachings. That God did not make his teaching, you know, see sin, see sin bad, don't do sin. It's deep. You're supposed to think and reach for it. And Jesus gives teachings like that. And notice the disciples are interested. They're concerned. They come into Jesus and they want to know what this is. And notice Jesus challenges them. Are you also without understanding? Verse 18. Don't you understand what it means to be defiled? And the concern needs to be the things that affect the heart. 
The concern needs to be what touches the heart, not just merely some kinds of externals. Now, notice that Mark underscores how radical this teaching is because there's this parenthesis in verse 19. Thus, he declared all foods clean. (laughs) He knew exactly what he was doing. We're not misunderstanding the whole under the law. Food was defiling, but now Jesus comes and says that's not the case. We've seen Mark do this. Mark is very challenging in his picture of who Jesus is. That the arrival of the king and the arrival of the kingdom is a putting into an end of the Mosaic system. It is putting an end to the things that were they were undergoing in the past. It is a whole new era. It is a whole new king. It's a whole new system. And we saw that all the way back in Mark 1 where Mark was setting that up about the gospel of the kingdom and the radical nature of what he'd come to do. We saw it when Mark taught us about the Sabbath and Jesus supposedly violating the Sabbath. And the end around is not, well, you know, it's okay to do those things. The end around is he's the king. And he can do as he pleases. Mark presents Jesus in a very powerful light. And you're seeing the same thing here in this presentation of Jesus. What Jesus wants everybody to understand is that the real issue is that what comes out of you. Notice it in verse 20 20 and 21. For he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I hope you feel the pain of what Jesus just did right there. This is a very hard statement. Because what Jesus just said is that it's what comes out of the person. That our problems are heart problems. Our sins are not external issues. They are internal issues. And I think that's, that's rough. When we think about that, I think so often one of the things that we want to do is we say our problems are because of everything else or everyone else. They're the problem. They're the issue. That's the problem. And notice that Jesus says it's not these externals that are at stake. The problem is these sins come from the heart. They come from what was within the person. Which explains why trying to fix these externals doesn't work and it's not what God desires. You know, so often Christianity is painted that way. Christianity is often painted as the idea of just trying to fix your externals, make yourself look better, make it look pretty on the outside. That doesn't fix the problem because it's a heart problem. 
And it doesn't work because it's not changing you. You're just trying to make sure everybody sees a particular veneer about you while inside you maintain all the same wickedness and all the same darkness and all the same sins. So what Jesus is doing is saying something that really hurts, that sin is a reflection of the heart. Our weaknesses and our sinning is not a reflection of external issues, but a reflection of what's inside of us. And that hurts to think about if you get real honest and serious with that declaration. The problem of sin is not a problem with everybody else. The problem of sin is the problem of what is within us. I think it's just something so so startling, but we know it to be true. You cannot tempt me to eat beets, collard greens, and liver. I mean, you can put it in front of my eyes all day and all night, and I will not wake up in the middle of the night going, boy, that is really pulling me. I don't care for it. Why does it not tempt me? Because I don't have a heart for it. Because I do not desire it. You see, that's the whole thing about sin. This is what James 1 is talking about. Where does sin come from? Not the external, but from the desires that are within There are certain sins that I believe you could list that you would say, it doesn't matter how many opportunities you gave it to me, I would never do that. Why? Because you don't have the desire or the heart for it. It doesn't matter how many times you could have a grocery store completely unmanned and unlocked. I would never think, boy, I guess we could just go in here and take whatever I want. It doesn't matter how many temptations of that could stand there. You'd go, oh, I don't want to do that. Why not? You see, the issue is not the external. So often that's how we want to paint the problem and how we try to fix with the solution is as an external. The external is not the issue. The internal is the issue, and that's what's painful to address when we talk about sin. So often the remedy that we want to present when it comes to sin is just get your act together, fly right, keep your nose clean, and you'll get it together. That doesn't work. And if you've tried, you know that doesn't work. It won't ever work because all you're doing are rearranging externals and the problems inside. And that's what Jesus is getting at right here. So the problem of sin is it is a problem of the heart. And getting your life to look right is not what God wants. I want you to hear that. Getting your life to look right is not what God wants. God does not want you whitewashing your life and moving things in order, going to church and trying to be a good person is not what God wants. I'd like you to find that verse. Go to church and be a good person. It's not what God wants. 
Yet so often what we do is we try to boil discipleship into the veneer, into the external, into, well, if I go to church and things look right, if I just kind of can put forward a good family and a good marriage and good spirituality, if I look like I study my Bible, if I look like I'm pious, then everything is good, right? And God is seeing right through that. You can fake all kinds of people, which is what the context of Mark 7 is. Don't the Pharisees look like they are the righteous, pious, holy people? Man, they do. They are tithing, they're praying on street corners. They look holy. God is peering right into the heart. He says, that's not what I'm looking for is your externals all to be rearranged. That God is concerned about the heart. Now let me say something really rough then. That wasn't rough enough. This is why listening to your heart, being true to yourself, looking within yourself for decisions is spiritual destruction. Because the problem is inside of you. The solution is not inside of Our world has come to us and said, the problems are on the outside and the solution is on the inside. God comes along and says, the problem isn't on the outside, the problem's inside of you and God is the solution. But we try to find the solution in ourselves. We try to find it in our hearts. And here is Jesus making the point. Your sins and your weaknesses and your problems, they are heart issues. They are internal problems. The things that you are dealing with, you cannot point to and say, well, it's because of my spouse or it's because of my parents or because of my children or my coworkers or my friends or my job. That's not where the problem lies. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that's really the problem. And if you're like me, you've tried to solve that problem by dealing with the externals, right? Well, if I just move to a new place, that'll fix it. If I just get a new job, that'll fix it. If I just make these changes, that'll fix it. How'd that go? It didn't fix anything because you can't run from you. You can try, but somehow that keeps catching up to you. I tried to do that. I grew up in San Diego, and there was two reasons I ended up in Tampa, Florida College. One was uh, was a financial pressure of my dad to say, you're going to go, or I'm not going to help you pay for college, and that's a big one for sure. But the other reason was I had a divorced family, and I needed to get away, and I thought I could get away from all of the difficulties and pains and coping with all the issues that were going on at that time. And when I got to Tampa, they were all still right there with me. And you still had to deal with all the same issues and all the same problems and all the same things inside of myself. Can't run from it. We have to have a a, a real understanding of what this looks like, is that the problem is in us, the solution is not in us. The reason we are sinners is because of our hearts. It's because of what we have inside of us. And until we accept that reality, we'll never be able to deal with the sin problem head on. We'll continue to push it to everybody else. 
They're the problem. They're the problem. That's the problem. It's not me. And Jesus is very blunt here and goes, I mean, look at it. Verse 21. From within, out of the heart of a person comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Where do all your sins come from? In you and in me. Therefore, if we are going to deal with the concept of true holiness, that means it's going to be an internal need. Holiness then needs to be addressed as something that is internal and not external. When you think about reading the prophets of God who came to Israel, you recognize that was one of the big points that God makes to them over and over again is you are missing why the regulations were given. It's not just simply this external veneer that God was looking at, but that God wanted the heart. Friends, following Jesus is not exclusively about stopping sinful things. That's a very poor way to look at Christianity. Well, all this is, is I'm saying to God, I'm going to stop doing these certain things. One, that's not going to work. But two, you can be completely lost and try to stop all those external things, but because your heart isn't changed, you're still lost. God wants your heart. God wants you to love Him. God didn't say, okay, just make sure you stop these few things that are bothering your life and now you're good to go. God desires a passionate relationship with us. You can stop externals and make it all look good on the outside, but a heart that is not seeking God, a heart that does not love God, a heart that is not looking toward God constantly, that person can make it look good on the outside and still be completely lost. So I think there will be a lot of surprised people about the narrow way that Jesus spoke of because the whole effort has been just trying to make things look good to other people and there's never been a true heart change for God. And God wants the heart change. God wants the changed life that comes from the heart. There is no outward act that is going to be able to deal with the heart or to be able to fix the heart. Each of the sins that we just read that Jesus lists is a problem of the heart. And that's why if we go around trying to tell people, you just need to stop sinning, that is an insufficient solution. I mean, that's kind of like me telling you right now, don't think of a pink elephant. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can't tell people, okay, don't do that. You put it right there. It's not a matter like that. And so trying to stop sin that is not rooted in knowing and loving God and knowing who He is and recognizing the grace of God is always going 
to fail. And I, I want us just to kind of get a sense of that. And, and, and hopefully we'll, we have a feeling of that is often what the pursuit is of trying to change the externals. You know, flying right, we kind of call it idiomatically like that, or, you know, go to church or those kinds of things. Ultimately, is what we are often trying to do is just be good enough. If I would just pray more, if I would just uh, study more, if I would just do these kinds of things, now I'm going to feel better about my life. And perhaps for a time you feel that way until you stop doing some of those things and now you're back to right where you were. You see, the focus on the external alone isn't going to achieve anything. And that's often what's greatly missed when we talk about a pursuit of God. So we just talk about, well, you just need to go to church more. Or you just need to pray more. You just need to study more. These are useful truths, but must be put in a proper context of the heart. Thinking that you're going to change anything about yourself is merely an external change. is not going to work in and of itself. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But I want us to just kind of be able to get to the heart of the problem that whatever sin we are struggling with, whatever you can think of that is in your heart that you are dealing with, I want us to just accept for the moment that that is a problem of the heart. If we are dealing with an anger problem, that is a problem of the heart. If we are dealing with a lust problem, that is a problem of the heart. Malice is a problem of the heart. Greed is a problem of our hearts. All of these kinds of sins, deceit and pride, Jesus just said all of these evils come from the inside and they defile a person, verse 23. This is kind of a hard reality that I've been been putting my hands around from this text. But ultimately, the truth that you have God trying to say to us Since sin comes from the desires of the heart, it comes from within, is ultimately what we are showing is that there is not a great enough love for God, a desire enough for God to keep us from the path of sin that we are choosing. Our desire for sin is greater than the desire for God. That's ultimately the reality we're stepping into is that we are desiring to fulfill our particular desires rather than desiring God. Ultimately, our satisfaction that we are looking for is not a satisfaction in God. It's a satisfaction in these activities. Or to put that another way, the desires that we have, we're not looking for how God wants us to fulfill them. We are looking for our own ways to fulfill them. God's way is not satisfactory. My desire for Him is not strong enough. I want these things, so I'm going to do these things. That's ultimately the reality we have to live with. With, Remember, Jesus said that. This is another powerful statement that is also painful. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What you treasure is where your desire and your heart goes to. What you value, what you esteem, what you state is important, that's what your heart runs to. And remember, in Scripture's heart isn't merely emotions. That's the whole of your being. That's the emotions, the logic, the reasoning, the mind. It's the whole of who you are. And what our heart then will be doing 
and loving and desiring and focused on is the thing that you choose to treasure. It's the big idea. And so if I find and say, this is something very important, then my heart's going to go there. And so often I think one of the issues that we fail to see is that the issue that we are not grabbing onto is truly a desire for God. And that ultimately what we are doing is that we are not desiring God, but we are desiring the polluted things of this life. Those are the things that we treasure. To put those things into perspective, all of these sins that Jesus just listed here, coveting and deceit, sensuality, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, murder, adultery, slander, pride. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is the problem is we treasure those things. That's why the heart is there. That's why we desire it. That's rough. But that's what he's showing us. They do not come from the outside. They come from the inside. We are treasuring these things. We are desiring these things. And friends, we will never stop doing something we treasure. Please think about that. You and I never stop doing the things that we treasure. Or to say that in a positive way, we always do what we want to do. Right? You can say, like I do, I didn't have time for that. I was too busy for that. I had all these things come up and schedule and yada, yada, yada. But the truth of the matter is you didn't want to do it. That's the harsh reality when it comes to spiritual things. Is that the real reason is we didn't want to do it. We can say we were too busy for Bible study. We were too busy for prayer. We were too busy for worship. We had all these things going on. And we weren't able to read our Bibles and get into God and dig in closer. We can say all that that we want to. But the real truth of the matter is we don't treasure God because we are doing what we want to do. And if we wanted to do that, we would have done it. Because we always do what we want to do. If you really wanted to do it, you would make the time to do it. Because the things that are important, you make time and do. That's the big reality. I told you Jesus was rough. What he says here is game changing in terms of what it means to be a disciple in the kingdom. But Paul said the same thing. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Think about it. Putting your mind on worldly things. Setting your heart on the the physical worldly pursuits. Is a mind that becomes hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Notice it. Indeed it cannot. It's not possible. You're not going to please God. You're not going to submit to God. Why? Because you're treasuring the world. You're treasuring the flesh. You're treasuring your desires. You're treasuring your pursuits. It's not a treasure of God. And therefore the heart follows the treasure. And that's why we read sometimes Romans 8 and go, wow, how can you say that the mind of the flesh cannot please God? Very simple. Really very simple. Because if you treasure anything other than God, your heart's going to follow after that instead of God. 
Whatever you value, whatever you esteem, whatever you think is important in your life, whatever you treasure, that's where your heart sits at. And if that treasure is not God, then absolutely nothing's going to change. This is one of the big concepts of the script of the scriptures, what God's doing. God shows through the law of Moses. I'm going to give you these rules and regulations so that I can be with you. I want to be in fellowship with you, but here's what it takes to be holy to live with me. As you come to the New Testament and the Old Testament also affirms the purpose of that shows we of our own devices cannot get to that state of holiness to be with God. Where the law is, that's where sin increases. The more laws you put out, the further I get separated. Just as much as you... Make a line and make it paint it yellow at the Grand Canyon and say, do not cross. Can't tell you how many people are crossing over it. And, uh, you know, that's what we do. Law, we break. That's the way it is. So what is God going to do to change that? If the big deal is that God wants hearts... That changing the externals is insufficient. You can rearrange it, make it look pretty, do all that. But that's not sufficient. You're going to fall back into sin and God wants your heart. God wants your desire. And He wants those changes to come from the heart, not just merely trying to rearrange the outside of those things. How is God going to change that in the world? A world that desires all kinds of fleshly, worldly, sinful, wicked things. It's very impressive, the message that God gives over and over again. We're approaching it in our Sunday morning class in Ezekiel. What God did was demonstrate an overwhelming, passionate pursuit of love toward people. There's a common grace that exists. As the scriptures say, the Lord causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. There are common blessings, common grace, common goodness that is constantly expressed by God to all of the world and all of its rebellion at all times. God sustains the world as we saw in Hebrews 1. He upholds it by His powerful Word. The only reason things continue the way they are and why anybody enjoys any blessing or goodness is because God speaks it and allows it. And not only all the common graces, but God shows this overwhelming love to Israel and to the world by saying, do you understand I want a relationship with each and every one of you? I want a relationship with you and you and you and you and you. I want to be with you. And I want to demonstrate to you how much I want a relationship with you that I will sacrifice the Son. I will show you a grand demonstration of love to help you comprehend the depths of how much I care for you and desire relationship with you. This is the power of Romans 5. While we were still sinners, while we were helpless, while we are the rebels, Christ is dying for us. I'm winning your heart. I'm trying to move your heart from wickedness to love me and desire me above all else. And I will do it through common blessings and common graces throughout your life as well as say, I want to spend eternity with you and I will make every obstacle be removed. 
I will give my only son so that you can be with me. That's how God says, I will change hearts. And the goal was that we would then respond in love back to Him. It's a staggering thing to see that God passionately pursues His people over and over again, even when we keep turning our hearts and our lives away from Him. This is the astounding message of the prophets. Is God just says... I'm I'm standing here with outstretched arms to you, pleading with you to come to me. Just return to me. I don't want to see anybody perish. My ways are not unjust. I'm doing everything to bring you into relationship with me. I don't desire to lose a single soul, not a single person. And I've made it possible to be in relationship with you. There is this passionate pursuit that God has for the world. To understand that maybe a little bit better, let me let me put it in in our physical terms. Uh, I'll speak to all the guys that are married. What did you do for this woman that you knew and that you loved to try to win their heart to bring about love? What did you do? Think about how passionately you pursued her. And all the displays of love that you could show through words and actions to try to indicate to the other person, do you see how much you matter to me? Do you see how much I value you? Do you see that I want to spend the rest of my life with you? Do you see how meaningful you are to my life? You're doing all those things to communicate a singular point. Do you see how much you mean to me? We kind of call it in an old-fashioned day a, a wooing that happens, right? You are wooing them to you. God has been doing that ever since He put the world together. Amen. That's all He's been doing. is just display of love and mercy and patience and kindness again and again and again. And we read and go, how could He do that? How could He be so kind? How could He be so patient? How could He give His Son... Because He's trying to show you and I how much He wants to be with us, which is supposed to cause what? A change of heart in us. That's how God changes hearts. Is God's love to us is supposed to melt our hearts back to Him. That when we see the love of God, now my desire is not going to be for evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. My desire is for the things of God because of what He's done for me. That's the message that Jesus has came to proclaim. Is this is what Jesus wants out of out of the world? This is what Jesus is desiring from us. Is Jesus is passionately saying, "I want your heart. I want a relationship with you." And to think that the problems stem from anywhere outside of us is a false knowledge. The problem is inside. And we have to admit and address we have a desire problem. reason I desire Snickers and not liver 
There's something inside of me. Now, some of you might go, liver is awesome, and I don't want a Snickers. That's a problem of your heart. (laughs) But that's what comes from within inside. That's the whole thing. These sins come from within inside. The world says you are what you do. And Jesus says you do what you are. Who you are is what you're going to do. Who you are, what your heart is, is what you will pursue. It's what you will do. This should awaken us to the challenge that the reason for prayer and study and worship and getting together and, and, and all of the things that we do is not an external of God will just be happy if I knock off all of these things external. Now let me get back to my regularly scheduled program of life over here because God is pleased because I knocked out my externals. Now we look at these things and we go, these are vehicles of the heart. I want to know God. And the way I'm going to know God more is through His Word, through prayer, through worship, through fellowship. You see, it's not an external now. Now I'm molding the heart. I'm not keeping my heart in another quadrant over here and saying, I'm doing all these things. I'm going to church. Are you all happy with me? Now let me get back over here to my life. My life desires all of those things because I passionately desire God. That's the big difference. That's the big difference. God wants our hearts. And all sin comes from within inside. And the next time we sin, may we put a lens on that and go, what is the problem? Why am I desiring this sin above desiring God? What's the issue? What's capturing my heart? What do I need to change? Why am I falling into that? Because it's a heart problem. And only until the heart is addressed... Can real life change begin? I hope you'll think about where you are with your Lord and Savior Jesus. One of the beautiful things that we have with our Lord is that God knew that this was going to be our problem. Every single human was going to have a heart problem that desired the world and desired sin and desired wickedness and desired the flesh above God. Every single person. That's a staggering thought to think. And God said, but I'm going to love billions upon billions upon billions of souls so much that even though billions upon billions upon billions of souls would desire anything else but me, I'm going to win their heart. I'm going to win their heart. I'm going to love them. And I'm going to give everything to them. Win their heart for me. That's the call of Christ. Will you give your heart to Him? Because He loves you that much. He came. He died. He rose from the dead. To win your heart. So that you would follow Him. And serve Him faithfully. And love Him to the very day that you go home to be with Him. You ready to come to Him today? Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a responsive submission to God. I'm going to give my life to Him. I'm going to get my sins washed away. 
And I'm going to walk with him because he's loved me. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?